All right, so the question we have for today is about Babylon. We all know about Babylon because Babylon has been mentioned in the Old Testament and represents the enemy of the people of Allahim. However, the New Testament also speaks about Babylon, even though Babylon was already conquered and defeated by the Persians long, long ago. This is a New Testament version of Babylon, and it's found in Revelation 17 and 18, and the question is based upon Revelation chapter 18, is Revelation 18 a double fulfillment prophecy? And so the person who asked the question uh, phrases the question this way. It's prefaced by the following statements. Let's go ahead and read the question that was sent. Uh, dear Brother John, good day, brother. During the time of the previous leaders, we tell the people we invited in Bible expositions, and we taught them the verses, Revelation 18, 46, telling them, to come out of her Babylon. But right now, the church has no doubt become, like the Catholic Church, universal, global. Is Revelation 18 a double fulfillment prophecy? And also a pattern. Uh, a pattern. In Jeremiah 51.45, the same instruction to Israel by God was also written. He commanded his people to come out of her Babylon. Is it repeating again? in our time. And last, why does the church, uh, why was it being compared to Babylon, or why was Babylon compared to an adulterous uh, woman? Thank you, and Yahuwah bless. And so the question uh, centers around this Babylon mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 18. And so we want to find out if Revelation 18 is a double fulfillment prophecy. The person asking this question, no doubt, has knowledge about the nature of biblical prophecy, which we have discussed in our previous Bible studies. And we know that the nature of biblical prophecies uses patterns in multiple ways, Hosea 12.10. It has layers of meaning and fulfillment, Isaiah 28.10. And it uses a repetition of patterns in multiple fulfillments, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 15. So based upon the nature of prophecies, Revelation 18 being a prophecy as well, the question is, is Revelation 18 a double fulfillment prophecy? So to answer that question, we need to first read Revelation 18, 2 down to 4. And this is what it says. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her place. And so this is a New Testament prophecy about a future Babylon. This prophecy has not been fulfilled yet. It is still future because it speaks of Babylon, which is going to fall. And Babylon, before it can fall, it needs to rise first, right? And so this Babylon is described as a dwelling place of demons. The kings of the earth will commit fornication with her. The merchants of the earth will become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And then the Bible says, come out of her, my people. Now, why does Yahuwah instruct his people to come out of Babylon? We read Revelation 18, 2 down to 4, 19 to 21 gives us the answer. They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. And so why, why does Yahuwah? command his people to come out of Babylon, because Babylon is going to be destroyed by Yahuwah 
Alba and how does the Bible depict this kind of destruction that will fall upon the great city of Babylon. Bible says with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down. So that's what it says in Revelation 18. Question is, does it have a double fulfillment? Now, when we look at the question, the person asking the question kind of gives us a clue concerning the answer, because the person asking the question also suggests Jeremiah 51, 45, because there was a Babylon in the Old Testament. And this command in Jeremiah 51 concerns the Babylon of the Old Testament, of which the, the king is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that Babylon? Right? And so what is this command all about? Jeremiah 51, verse 45. Come out of her, my people. Run for your lives. Run from the fierce anger of Yahuwah. And so what it is the command of Yahuwah Abba? to the remnant, the captives of Israel in Babylon. Yahuwah says, come out of her. Remember, there was a designated period of time when desolations of Jerusalem because of captivity in Babylon, and that designation of time is how long again? 70 years, seven zero years, right? And so after this period allotted for the captivity, the desolations of Jerusalem. What will happen? Yahuwah says, come out of her, because Yahuwah will punish the people of Babylon. Yahuwah will use Persia and the Medes to punish Babylon. And so Yahuwah says, come out of her, my people. And why does Yahuwah tell them to come out of Babylon? Jeremiah 51, 47 for the time will surely come when I will punish the idols of Babylon. Her whole land will be disgraced and her slain will all lie fallen within her. Why does Yahuwah command that his people who remained in Babylon, because after the decree was given, uh, there were some who went to Jerusalem and there were those who still remained in Babylon. Not everyone who were captives in Babylon when the appointed time came for them to go back to Jerusalem, not everyone went back to Jerusalem. A lot of them, well, they enjoyed the life in Babylon. And so Yahuwah says, you got to come out. Why? Because something's going to happen to Babylon. Babylon is going to be punished. And how does Jeremiah uh, depict or explain or describe the punishment that will be against Babylon? Jeremiah 51, 52 to 55. But days are coming, declares Yahuwah, when I will punish her idols. And throughout her land, the wounded will groan, even if Babylon reaches the sky and fortifies her lofty stronghold. I will send destroyers against her, declares Yahuwah. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon, the sound of a great destruction from the land of the Babylonians. Yahuwah will destroy Babylon. He will silence her noisy din. Waves of enemies will rage like great waters. The roar of their voices will resound. This is why Babylon was eventually defeated. And Babylon, or at least physical Babylon, not talking about the influence of Babylon, because there are two different things. Physical Babylon was destroyed, right? However, the influence of Babylon was not destroyed because the influence of Babylon can be found in many organizations throughout the world, especially religious organizations. And so we see here a parallel between Jeremiah 51 and Revelation chapter 18. In the same way Yahuwah said to his people, come out of the city of Babylon. He's speaking now to his sons and daughters during the end times, come out of another Babylon, another fulfillment of a Babylon. This is why we know for sure Revelation 18 is a prophecy with multiple fulfillments. Not only is it a prophecy of multiple fulfillments, just like what the writer of this question mentions, it also consists of patterns that are repeated. You see, Babylon is not only mentioned during the days of the prophets, it's not only mentioned here in Revelation, it's actually even mentioned all the way back 
in Genesis, where it all began. And so we're going to look for a pattern that depicts Babylon. Because if we identify this pattern in any organization, we need to come out from her. And so what is that pattern of Babylon? Let's go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This was the command of Yahuwah Abba after the flood. What happened because of the flood? The population was reduced greatly. How many people were left? Only eight, right? And so what does Yahuwah command the people of Noah to do? Or Noah and his family to do? God says, be fruitful and multiply. To scatter and fill the earth, which was the command that Yahuwah God gave to Adam and Eve after creation. Remember the command? To be fruitful and multiply. So that was the command. But what did the people do instead? Genesis 11 uh, one down to four. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so what did the people decide to do instead of scattering and filling the earth? What did they do? They decided to build a city for themselves. Instead of obeying the will of God, they defied the will of God. And because they willingly and deliberately defied the will of God, what did they do? They built a tower, right? Because they know if you defy God, there's going to be a flood. But if you can find a way to overcome that flood by building a tower high enough and the waters will not be able to reach you, then you don't need God anymore. You see, that's the spirit of the people working to build a city and a tower Right? That's the spirit driving them. It is exalting themselves, making a name for themselves, building a, building a city for themselves, defying the will of Yahuwah Abba. And so what did Yahuwah say? What did Yahuwah do when he saw that the people uh, during these days, this is what they were doing. Genesis 11, uh, 5 down to 7. But Yahuwah came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Yahuwah said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so when Yahuwah saw what the people were doing, what did Yahuwah say? He said, if if as one people speak the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And so Yahuwah is addressing the power of unity, right? Because the people were united in building what? The tower, in building a city for themselves. They wanted a name for themselves instead of honoring the name of Yahuwah, right? And so they're centered around their own personal achievements instead of pleasing the will of Abba. And this is why when it comes to the question of unity, is unity good? Brethren, should we be united? Well, it depends, right? I mean, if we're united in doing the will of Abba, that's good. But if we're united in breaking the law of Abba, that's not good. These, these people had unity. They had perfect unity. And this was a problem. Yahuwah said their perfect unity was a problem. Because they were united in doing what was wrong. And so the city is defined by the people being united in doing what was wrong. You get a city when you have a bunch of people deciding to live together and to adopt certain principles and be united together. Okay. And so what did Yahuwah decide to do? Eight down to nine. So Yahuwah scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, 
and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there Yahuwah confused the language of all the earth, and from there Yahuwah scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And so what became the name of that city that they attempted, that they built when they wanted to defy Yahuwah Abba was called what? Babel, from which we get the city Babylon, right? Babylon comes from Babel, okay? And so they decided to be one. Do you know who they were one with? Who do you think they were one with? This, the devil, right? But who was the main instrument of the devil? We call him the first dictator, the first world dictator. Because these people did not just wake up one morning and decide, you know what? Let's build a city. You know what? Let's build a tower. They did not just think of that on their own. Yeah, we believe the devil's behind it. But who was the instrument of the devil? Who became the first king of Babel? Genesis 10, 8 down to 12. Cush begot Nimrod. He began, he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before Yahuwah. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Yahuwah. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. He was the one who started it because he was a mighty one. And so he relied on his human strength and human wisdom. And so he became a leader. He became a dictator. He was the first known dictator of history. Okay. And so he started the first kingdom, kingdom of Babel. And from there, he establishes other kingdoms. Assyria built Nineveh. You notice what they all have in common? Babel, Assyria, Nineveh. They represent the enemies of the people of Yahuwah Abba. It all started with Nimrod, the first dictator, and he established the kingdom of Babel. You know what historians from the study of different myths and legends all over the world find very fascinating about Nimrod? Let's read. Nimrod appears as a character in the mythology of many ancient cultures. He shows up in Hungarian, Greek, Arabic, Syrian, and Armenian legends. There's evidence that the Epic of Gilgamesh and the myth of Hercules both find their origins in Nimrod's life. Nimrod was undoubtedly a powerful, charismatic hero figure of the ancient world who actually attempted to build a tower to heaven, hoping to thwart the plans of God. So Nimrod was deified by the people. They admired and exalted Nimrod, and Nimrod enjoyed it, right? Because he was the first dictator. And so from these passages, do you get and sense a pattern about Babylon, the origin of Babel, right? Where we have three characteristics of Babel. Remember, Yahuwah says, come out of her, come out of Babylon. This means not just physically, but also spiritually. This is why we need to know the characteristics of Babylon. And so the patterns of Babylon, well, it has three main patterns, three main characteristics. It begins with a dictator, right? To have a Babylon pattern, you have to have a dictator who will be exalted by and ruled and rule over the people. And so he will rule over the people like Nimrod, who was the first dictator, right? He is exalted by the people, considering him to be a hero. They probably have pictures of him in their living rooms because he was their hero. They exalted Nimrod. There must be a city, and this city represents the people who were one with their dictator. This is why they're able to achieve many things because they're one with Nimrod. They would dare not defy Nimrod. Okay, what else? There was a tower. What's the tower? It's a symbol used to boast of their achievements, to make a name for themselves. And so the city, the people will be known by these symbols of powers. 
And so that's the pattern set up in Genesis by the spirit of Babylon. One dictator, one city or one institution or organization, one tower or tower, which represents a symbol boasting of their achievements. So that was during the days of Nimrod, right? Well, who became another fulfillment of this pattern of Babylon? Fast forward all the way to the days of Daniel. Who do you get? Yeah, remember Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden statue made, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he had it set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So now we have a dictator, Nebuchadnezzar, right? We have a tower. What is that? A golden statue. Not only that, but Nebuchadnezzar was known for his magnificent building projects, his palace, the walls of Babylon, that in the garden of Babylon, they became world renowned. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon enjoyed the praise of the people. They called Babylon the golden city. And so they, in, they had many building projects. It was their tower, a physical symbol of their achievements and success. But when we look at Nebuchadnezzar, he's uh, also a fulfillment of a Nimrod, a dictator, because when the dream about the statue was given to him by Daniel, it mentions it's composed of different metals, right? Gold, silver, brass, iron. And gold is represented by Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. However, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did not agree with Yahuwah's will. Because Yahuwah's will, according to the statue, is after a while, gold will be replaced by silver. In other words, Babylon is going to be overcome by Mede, Persia, right? That was according to the will and plan of Yahuwah. But what does, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He creates a, a statue of himself made of all gold. And so basically Nebuchadnezzar was saying to Yahuwah, no, he was rejecting the limit that God placed on his leadership. And I want you to understand that because so many leaders today, they encroach on the authority that was given to them. In other words, they use their authority to do things they're not authorized to do. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, he rejects the limit that God placed on his leadership. Every leader placed by Yahuwah Abba, they have limits. There's no such thing as absolute monarchy. No such thing as absolute autocracy, except for Yahuwah, right? And Yahusha. But Nebuchadnezzar, like a dictator, he assumed that for himself. This is why, according to Newell, church theologian, Babylon, the head of gold, was an absolute autocracy. In other words, he was a dictator. He had no equals. You know, even during the kings of Israel, the king was not the absolute authority. He was working together with the prophets and also the priests, right? But with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he was absolute in his autocracy. He was absolute in his decision-making. Persia which came after him was different. It was a monarchical oligarchy with the nobles equal to the king in all but office is represented by silver. Greece is set forth by brass indicating the still lower value of its aristocracy of mind and influence. Rome, a democratic imperialism with military dominion dependent upon the choice of army and citizenry and administered, administered in the spirit of martial law is set forth by I am. And so when we look at the leaders, the kings of past kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar stood out as really the only dictator. And so this dictatorship, having power, absolute power that you cannot question, because during per the reign of Persia, the Persian king was not above the law, right? He could not change the law. Uh, during the time of Greece and Rome, there was policy. And there was a division of power. When it comes to Nimrod, when it comes to Nebuchadnezzar, no. They had dictatorship. They had absolute 
autocracy. Okay, this is why, and what else can we know about Nebuchadnezzar? In Daniel 3, 3 to 6, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. This illustrates the dictatorial power of Nebuchadnezzar. And so his instruction is as good as law. That's the power of Nebuchadnezzar. And so we can see here the pattern of Babylon established during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Do we have one dictator? Yeah. Who is that? Nebuchadnezzar. Do we have a city? Yeah. It's no longer Babel. It's called Babylon. Do we have a tower? Yeah. There are many building projects. And so they fit the pattern of Babylon that was established back in Genesis. So we have one during the days of the patriarchs. We had a dictator during the days of the prophets. How about in the New Testament times? Will there also be a Babylon? Yes. Let's read Revelation 18, 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence, the great city, Babylon, shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. And so here's another mention of Babylon, right? It's called the great city. And so which is this city to be called Babylon in the future? Well, it's a great city. And when you come across great city in the Holy Scriptures, it actually specifies for us what city that is. What could that be? There are those who say it could be Rome, right? And, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, they do also fit the pattern of, of uh, a Babylon, right? Because do they have a dictator? Yeah, the Pope, right? Do they have unity in terms of the structure? Yeah, right? Do they have towers? Yeah, their cathedrals define the Catholic Church, right? So they have all those patterns of Babylon. So in a sense, it is a fulfillment also of the Babylon. However, this Babylon is different. This is the final iteration, the final version of Babylon we're talking about. It's the great city of Babylon. How can we identify this great city of Babylon? Well, when it comes to mentioning great cities, it doesn't mention Rome in the Bible. You know what city comes up in the New Testament when it comes to Babylon? I mean, when it comes to a great city, what is that great city? Revelation 11, verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, right? Which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. And so there's an actual name to the city, but there's also a spiritual name given to the city. What city is this? Jerusalem. I mean, where was Yahushua crucified? Was it not Jerusalem? Jerusalem is known as a great city. It's called Sodom and Egypt because it is be, it's depicting its spiritual condition at that time. Not good. And so one thing we know before Yahusha comes in the latter parts of the ends of the earth, Jerusalem will not represent true, the true people of God and the true faith. Rather, it's going to represent Sodom, Egypt, and Babylon, all of which is the antithesis of being the people of Yahuwah. Because when you look at Sodom, Egypt, and Babylon, what do they all have in common? They were all punished by who? <laughs> Yahuwah, right? Because of their spiritual depravity. And so this Jerusalem, yes, it's a physical city. But at this point, it's going to be bereft of spirituality. They have no reconciliation with Yahuwah. 
So that will be the condition of Jerusalem. How else can we identify this great city? Let's read Revelation 17, 5 to 7. And on her forehead, the name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Yahushua. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And so here we have three more characteristics of the great city. We know it's Jerusalem, but how can we confirm it's Jerusalem? Well, it mentions here, it is called a harlot. You know, throughout the scriptures, do you know a city that was called the harlot? What city was, was referred to as a harlot so many times in the Holy Bible? What city is that? Uh, Ezekiel 16, 1 and 2. Again, the word of Yahuwah came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adorned multicultured high places for yourself. There's the tower, right? The high places, obelisk, the shrines, and played the harlot on them. Such things should not happen nor be, who was referred to as a harlot in scripture, Jerusalem. This is why it makes sense that when the Bible speaks of a Babylon in the future, a Babylon, it is actually Jerusalem. Jerusalem, end time Jerusalem, before judgment comes. We need to understand that. And it fits the, the, uh, the pattern of scripture because Jerusalem is also called a harlot. And why is it called a harlot? What is it? What did they do? Which uh, merited themselves being called a harlot. And Ezekiel 16, 23, 25, uh, then it was so after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord God, that you also built for yourself a shrine and made a high place for yourself in every street. You built your high places at the end of every road and made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. And so again, the Bible associates harlotry with the building of high places. And during the days of Nimrod, what is that? The tower, right? Which depicts worship of their own achievements instead of worshiping who? That's harlotry. This is why throughout history, pagan worship centered around what are called high places, or the Bible also calls it pillars of jealousy, obelisks, which look something like this. And it's even adopted by many nations throughout the world, representing the center of their power and their authority in various capitals throughout the world, you find the same influence. The establishment of a tower, which is basically in defiance of Yahuwah, instead of submitting to the will of Yahuwah, they want to erect their own authority. They want to erect their own uh, tower. And so we find that not only in terms of the nation's exercising their power and boasting of their power. You also find that in certain religious organizations because nowadays so many religious groups, they pride themselves in their building projects, their places of worship. They have spheres, right? Towers, which is basically telling the people, look at us, look at our magnificent places of worship. And that's exactly what Yahuwah is saying. He's saying you're boasting about your high places instead of giving glory and exalting Yahuwah. You want people to focus on these houses of worship that have these towers. That's wrong. It's harlotry. What else is associated with harlotry? Now then, O harlot, hear the word of Yahuwah. Thus says of the Lord God, because your filthiness 
was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry with your lovers and with all your abominable idols. And because of the blood of your children, which you gave to them. What also is depicted by harlotry? Idolatry. Idolatry in the Holy Bible. If you read the Old Testament, whenever you find pagan idolatry right next to it, you know what it is? Sexual immorality. This is why the high places, the towers, it's become a phallic symbol. It's what it is. A phallic symbol. You know what a phallic symbol is, right? You can Google it if you want to. But that's what it represents. It represents self-exaltation, which, according to Yahuwah, is instead of submitting to the will of Abba, you do your own thing. You do your own will. And that is harlotry, self-worshipping uh, self, worshipping idols. That is harlotry. So that's number one. How else can we describe? How, do, how else does the Bible describe um, this Jerusalem? Let's read. It mentions drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. We know Jerusalem was called the harlot, but is Jerusalem also a place where the prophets were killed? What do you think? <laughs> Let's read the book of Luke 13, 31, 34. On that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, <laughs> tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be, cannot be, that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together. As again gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. And so Jerusalem indeed is also known as the place where the prophets were killed. Right? And it's also going to be the place where the blood of the martyrs for Yahushua is going to take place. There's going to be a slaughtering that's going to happen in Jerusalem. A mass slaughtering. Yahushua called this the tribulation. And we'll talk more about that this coming Thursday when we talk about Daniel chapter 9. And the more complete fulfillment of 925 to 27, please watch the Bible History Project this coming Thursday. Okay. Anyways, what is one other characteristic? The Bible says this city, Jerusalem, will have a beast that will support her. Right? Who is that beast? That is the Antichrist. He's also called Little Horn. And he's also called the Beast. He's also called in prophecy, the prince. And we'll talk more about that this coming Thursday. So watch the Bible History Project, like plugging the Bible History Project for this Thursday. Anyways, that's another sign. There's going to be the Antichrist who's going to be ruling in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem and the Antichrist are going to be united. Uh, Jerusalem is known as a city, and it's likened to a harlot. And the Antichrist will liken himself to the king and Messiah. Remember, there's this marriage between Yahusha and the assembly. There's going to be this marriage between the king, uh, the Antichrist, and Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. Because the Antichrist is going to use Jerusalem as headquarters. Will conduct many financial business. This is why in Revelation 13, 16, and 17, he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so the Antichrist will have control of the banks, basically. Right? He will have control of many things. He will have power. And how will he get to that power? Again, uh, this Thursday, we'll talk a little more about that, but we'll reserve the full thing for when we study the book of Revelation. So in the latter parts of the end times, Jerusalem will be the headquarters of the beast and will be called the eschatological Babylon, the end time Babylon. That's what, that's the Babylon of which Yahushua says, come out my people. And we're not surprised it's called Babylon. Who is the one behind it all? 
who is the power behind the power of the Antichrist or the beast. In the book of Isaiah 14, 14, 12, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has seized the golden city, seized. You see, Isaiah was speaking about the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. However, behind the scene was someone else. Who was that someone else behind the scene? How you are fallen from heaven, oh, Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. And so Satan, being a prince of demons, he's behind what is taking place in the different kingdoms of man. This is why Apostle Paul said our real battle is not against human beings, not against flesh, but the principalities and the powers behind them. There are demons that are at work. And when we go to Daniel, when we study chapter 10, we're going to see that part of our reality, the spiritual demons who are at work in control of policy, in control of authority, in control of what's happening in the world today. So Lucifer is also the one behind the king of Babylon. He's also the one behind the new king of Babylon, the Antichrist, the final dictator of the world, and the one who backs him up and empowers him is who? The Satan. And they will make Jerusalem their headquarters. So now we have another iteration, right, of the Babylon uh, pattern. Do we have a one, dic one dictator? Yeah. First it was Nimrod, then Nebuchadnezzar. Now we have who? The Antichrist. Okay. Do we have a city? Yeah. Where's that city? Jerusalem. Do we have a tower? Yes, plenty of towers, plenty of obelisks, because Satan uh, and the Antichrist will take over the nations of the world. That's what he's going to do. And so all those obelisks is his. They're all his, right? And he will control the market. He will control the banking systems. So that's his symbol that he will use to boast, to make a name for himself. So the, the, the pattern of Babylon is repeated again and again and again. Not only is it found amongst kingdoms, but even within different organizations like institutions and churches. And so we need to be aware of this pattern of Babylon. Now, before we go further, let's go back to the question because it mentions here, uh, why is the church or Babylon likened to an adulterous woman? Harlotry, fornication. Because in Revelation 18, 2 to 4, it mentions for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, what does that mean? In Hosea 3, verse 1, then Yahuwah said to me, go again, love a woman who was loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of Yahuwah for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. And so here's Yahuwah. He's likening adultery to what the people of Israel are doing when they worship other gods. So idolatry is what is referred to as adultery. And so when we go to Revelation 18, 2 to 4, the Antichrist will present himself not only as the Messiah, but also God himself, according to Thessalonians 2, 3 down to 4, right? And Daniel, we'll talk more about that in the future. But he will present himself not only as the Messiah, but as God. And he will require worship. He will be worshipped. And that's fornication. He will cause the leaders of nations to worship him. And many leaders will worship him, not for religious reasons, but for financial reasons. Because of being merchants of the earth to become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so all these uh, unions and associations and relationships, alliances will be made, orchestrated by the Antichrist, focusing on money focusing on false worship, it's called fornication. It's called adultery, according to the Holy Bible. And so let's go back. Let's go to our final question. It says, come out of her. But right now, the church has no doubt become like the Catholic Church, universal, global. And so because the word Catholic means universal, global, um, many associate Catholicism to Babylon. And there, there's a good case to be made. Catholicism is Babylon because it fits the description of Babylon. In fact, when we read Revelation 17 and 18, we can make an argument that indeed Catholicism was the fulfillment of Babylon, okay? However, it's not the final fulfillment of Babylon. There's a future fulfillment of Babylon, which is the final one, 
But we know that the spirit of Babylon is within and it encompasses Catholicism. However, uh, when it mentions here that the Catholic Church is universal global, is it because the Catholic Church is universal global that makes it Babylon? No, because just because one is universal or global does not make you Babylon. Okay, why? Because Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so when a religious group, a religious organization is worldwide or global, it doesn't make them Babylon. Why? Because being global per se is not bad. Because Yahushua says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So what if you succeed in making disciples of all nations? Does that make you? Babylon? No. What makes one Babylon? In Revelation 12, verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This is why one cannot say to the world, we are the true people of God, because we are worldwide. Okay, it doesn't mean being worldwide makes you Babylon. At the same time, it doesn't mean being worldwide is proof that you belong to God. Why? Because the Bible says the devil deceives the whole world. So you can't use your numbers. We have millions of members. Therefore, we belong to Yahuwah. You cannot do that because the devil has deceived the whole world. This is why it's highly likely the more universal you get, it's highly likely the one behind it all is who? The devil, because those who are going to be saved are only a handful, a remnant, right? <laughs> this is why I'm going to be second guessing. I'll be, I'll be like really, really analyzing and looking into my religion. Should I come out of my religion or not? Well, if your religion follows the pattern of Babylon, you should come out. We're going to tell you up front, you should come out. If your religion is practicing the principles of Babylon, come out of her. Well, how can we know? How can we know? Well, let's read the book of 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And so when a church or a religion becomes worldwide or global, it doesn't mean it's Babylon. However, when that church boasts about their achievements of being worldwide or global, that makes them Babylon because that makes them to be of the world. And Babylon rules the world. Remember what we said, the, phys the physical city of Babylon was destroyed, but the influence of Babylon is all over the world. This is why whenever a church, a religion will boast, we have th this many members. We have this many building projects. That's not of the Father. That is of the world. That is of Babylon. And so let us examine where we belong. Does it fit the pattern of Babylon? Do you still remember the pattern of Babylon? What are they? What are the three characteristics of Babylon? One dictator, city, tower. Let's examine our church, our religion. Is there one person? That you cannot defy, you cannot question, or you have to be loyal to that person because that person rules over you. If there's a rulership in that religion, well, that's a dictator. That's a pattern of Babylon. Is it organized so that different people function together and are completely one with this dictator? And so the function of the entire organization hinges upon every dictate of the leader. Well, that's the pattern of Babylon. Do they have towers? Do they have a symbol of their achievement? Do they have obelisks? And when they parade their accomplishments, they point to their towers and say, look at what we have done. Again, that's a pattern of Babylon. 
And if we find that pattern, Bible says come out, right? How else can we recognize a church that doesn't belong to Yahuwah? Isaiah 121, 23. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. Remember, Babylon is going to be known for its harlotry. So she once was full of justice, righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all have bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. And so how else can we recognize a religious group that has the pattern of Babylon? They don't take care of the weak. They exploit the weak. They don't care about the widow. They don't care about the fatherless. Because when you think of the fatherless and the widow, they represent the weak, right? And so they oppress the weak and they exploit people to the point they make partnerships with who? Thieves. So that they can continue with their building projects. The Bible says they're making a name for themselves, but they're not honoring the name of Yahuwah Abba and Yahusha HaMashiach. And so if this is the religion we are in, Bible says in Revelation 18, 4, and I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. That did not come from me. That came from Yahuwah. Yahuwah saying to those who endorse Babylon, come out of her. Why? Because if you don't come out, you might share in her sins. You may not be guilty of what they're doing or what their leaders are doing, but by association, you might be guilty of her sins. Because if, for example, you are allowing a thief or a murderer to hide and you don't speak up, by association, you could be guilty of their crime. Same thing. Yeah, who was the one who says that? Come out. So that you cannot be associated with Babylon anymore. Come out of her. Because if you don't come out, you'll be associated with their sins. And what will happen? You will receive of her plagues. And so while we have time, brethren, let's examine where we belong. Do we belong to Yahuwah and Yahusha? Or do we belong to Babylon? If we belong to Babylon, Yahuwah says, come out. Come out, my people. Lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes, Yahuwah Allahim, yes, thank you for enlightening your people tonight, yes, for giving us your holy words, yes, our light, so that we can make discernment that will enable us to make choices that bring us closer to you. Amen. Father, help us as we study scripture. Yes, Father. The more we search, the more we learn. Yes, Father. The more we learn, the more confident we are yes, that we are on that path that leads to you. Amen. Help us, Father, to do our best yes, to Father. share these truths with our fellow men yes, and help us to testify about you yes, and about your son. Amen. Yahusha, our loving Mashiach. Yes. We are the assembly that belong to you. Yes, and so we will proclaim you with zeal. Yes. With faith and with love. Amen. May you please bless and guide our speech. Yes. Help us to do our best to properly represent yes. you. Not just by speech, but also by action. Amen. Help us to love like you love. Yes. Help us to endure like you endured. Yes. And help us to overcome like you overcame. Amen. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. Yes. Bless your people throughout the world. Empower yes. us and strengthen us. That we can make choices that lead to you. Even difficult choices. Yes, because we know such decisions require faith and strength that Amen. come from you. Thank you for listening to our prayers tonight. Yes, we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.